This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome to Self Work. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. I've been practicing for over 25 years, and I wanted to extend the walls of my practice when I began podcasting about a year and a half ago or a little more. I wanted to try to reach people not only who might be in therapy or be talking to a mental health professional, but to people who might not even know what a psychologist or a clinician would have to say about emotional issues or psychological dilemmas but they might be curious enough to listen to a podcast. I'm also a huge proponent of trying to confront the stigma around mental illness, so I try to provide lots of education about mental illness. So thank you for being here. I hope today's subject is not one that you're highly familiar with, but if it is, it can truly be devastating, and that is apathy and loneliness. You're in a relationship but you still feel very, very lonely. And you may have even, or your partner may have, become apathetic. I've heard many times someone say in their desperation, I'd rather be lonely alone than be lonely in this marriage. So that's the topic for today. This podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. I don't have advertising on this podcast, but when Audible reached out to me, I thought, you know, I think this is a win-win. We'll talk more about it later in the program. You know, apathy can be used almost as a defense mechanism. If you've been hurt, then you tell yourself you don't care. It's protective in a way. But here are 10 things to try, and I always get tickled when I do a list of five or 10 because so many people do it, and yet people really tend to be drawn to posts or podcasts that have lists. (laughs) So here's another list, but I hope that there's some fresh ideas within it. The listener email today is from someone who wants to find a therapist, but doesn't want anyone to know she's looking. So I'll answer that listener's email. And by the way, I love getting your emails. I'll talk about it later, but my email is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. I find out so much about my listening audience because I want to gear these podcasts to you. I had a suggestion a couple of weeks ago that I do one on work stress and just handling feeling overwhelmed, and I'm planning to do that. So I hope you'll write and let me know who you are. Again, that's AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. And now we'll continue to a discussion about confronting apathy and loneliness. Thanks again for being here. There are thousands of couples... Well, there are probably hundreds of thousands of couples who rarely have ever spend time together as a couple. It's not simply that they've become out of sync, as I like to call it. They haven't felt in sync for a long time. And so either self-protectively or whatever agenda they may have, they decide they don't care. You know, the famous line in Gone with the Wind at the end of the very long movie was, frankly, Scarlet, I don't give a damn. And that was by far worse than any argument they could have had for now a scarlet who wanted the relationship. But let's pull it back to 2018. This is what I'll hear in therapy. I'll ask, when's the last time you've gone for a weekend or even a night together? 
Well, we went with friends to Kansas City. No, no, I mean together, by yourselves. Well, that's not in the budget. These folks don't talk much. They don't laugh anymore. They don't share their disappointments or their frustrations. They usually don't enjoy regular sex. Their lives intersect only around the kids, the holiday office party, or when planning a family vacation. Their marriage has become mostly a business, and it's very characterized by loneliness and apathy. So in the same session, I'm trying to stay positive, and I ask, well, so what are your goals as a couple? I get a blank look, some discomfort, a shrug of the shoulders. Well, we both love the kids, and we're busy all the time. Other than being parents, these two people are living parallel lives. Their individual lives influence each other like two magnetic fields running alongside one another, but they both remain much more focused on their own needs or the needs of the kids rather than the needs or desires of the other. It's not only a big mistake, it can lead to the death of your relationship. You know, I would rather have two people coming in, and believe you me, this happens a lot, screaming at each other than two people who look at me and say, I don't really care what he or she thinks anymore. I'm here because she asked me to be, or I'm here because he asked me to be. I still have feelings, but they're not at all what they used to be. To me, that expectation can feel like I'm supposed to help them kick a dead horse alive, and it's not very hopeful. Years ago, I worked with a couple whose first marriages had actually ended with their spouse dying. After several years of being alone, but busy with children and family, they found each other. He loved that her hobby was sculpting, and he'd go out and watch as she molded clay into a piece of art. She'd spend time with him out in his garden, trying to remember the difference between a gladiola and a hydrangea, and learn for the first time about landscape design. They were so happy, and they married and settled into life together feeling that at long last, they'd found happiness again. They came to see me about five years into their marriage, and everything had turned sour. There was silence where there used to be sharing. There was resentment where previous efforts at empathy had existed. We don't know what happened. We've even talked about divorce, but now our kids really care about each other. As I sat and talked with them, what I heard them describing was losing their interest in each other. The apathy in their relationship was palpable. I asked her, do you ever go out in the garden anymore? Well, no, I get bitten by mosquitoes and my knees don't do well anymore. So I asked him, how long has it been since you've watched her sculpt? Oh, I don't know. It's cold out there in her shop, but I love watching sports. She's just not into that. They were giving each other the message, however unintentionally, you're not important enough to me to go out of my way to be interested in you. Well... That must sting. So what should a couple do who may be in this very painful and lonely boat? It is important, of course, to rule out depression on either side. Hopelessness and helplessness are both classic symptoms of depression. And hopelessness can certainly look like apathy. But it's not the same. In apathy, you have the energy available. You have a clear enough mind to be interested But you're just not trying anymore. You've given up. You tell yourself you don't care enough to try. So speaking of trying, we're going to talk about 10 things that I found helpful. Most of them are pretty tangible, pretty concrete. Some of them are a little more conceptual or they're tied together with concept and behavior. 
but let's see what's on this list. Number one, rediscover what interests you about your partner. How often do I hear things like, I know what he's going to say before he says it. She's always bringing up the same old, same old. I get tired of hearing it. You know, you don't have any control of what your partner does or doesn't do, but you can look at yourself honestly. You may be sorely lacking in interest or support for him or her. And if that's the case, you can either try to remember what you used to do, and if you can't remember that, ask them, so how can I show you that I care? Let them answer that question. I do care. I've almost forgotten how to show you. And then you have to look at yourself. Maybe you are being repetitive. Maybe you're assuming things. The interesting thing to me is we spend hours away from each other every day. So how can you assume that absolutely nothing has changed for your partner and that what they have to say is what they've always had to say? Now, we do generally have arguments about the same things. That's true. And continual bickering can lead to apathy. So here's an assignment. You and your partner try having the argument that you always have, except you're fighting for your partner's side and he or she is fighting for yours. It can be enlightening to experience their side, maybe even how they feel, and hear your own words coming out from your partner's mouth. I've had couples come in and go, wow, that was something else. I hated hearing myself, or I kind of got a sense when I fought for her side what she must feel like fighting with me. You know, there's a section in our local paper every Sunday where someone in the community is featured. They always have weird questions for them to answer, like who would you invite dead or alive to a private dinner party, stuff like that. And it's fun. So every Sunday, or at least almost every Sunday, I ask my husband the same questions, and I learn something about him because his answers change. And lo and behold, last night, if anything made me a believer in change, Last night, my husband ate grits. (laughs) He's from New Jersey, and he doesn't like grits, I thought. But there they were on his plate, accompanied by some shrimp, by the way. But I couldn't believe it. Number two, confront the awkwardness of not touching. I did an episode on this. It was 56, so I'm not going to go into that too much. But again, you can start out lying by one another quietly, clothes on or off, lights on or off but at least get used to having some time together that's just you and him or her. Start to reclaim what's enjoyable about simply hanging out in one another's company. Here's number three. Plan a night away or even a simple dinner, but have the rule you cannot talk about the kids. Realize it's just as much your responsibility to be engaging and interesting as it was when you got together, perhaps even more so. If you haven't read a new book in a while, then read a book. If you haven't met anyone new that you could talk about or be excited about meeting, then search for someone to meet. Keep your own life fresh and find ways to communicate that with your partner. You've got to make your lives about the two of you, not just the kids. Number four, realize when you're hanging on to old disappointments. I recently was talking to someone who had a tragedy occur in her life several years ago, and she was married at the time. Her husband simply didn't respond the way she wanted him to and needed him to in many ways. She and I have had to work on whether he's really capable of doing what she expected rather than withholding something from her. 
But she realized that she was hiding behind these disappointments and that she needed to grieve them and let them go if she were going to remain married to this guy, which she wants to. If you do so, you're not going to be stuck in the past, but you're moving into the present and leaving behind what are old hurts. Now we're almost halfway through, but number five is to acknowledge how critical you're being. Sometimes, again, when I'm being criticized all the time, I may adopt an attitude of, you know, I don't care what you have to say, just leave me alone. All you do is criticize. But perhaps you're being critical too. I gave that assignment to a couple one time that they had to ask permission to be critical of one another. They had a couple of young kids, and they came back. I think I've told this story before. They came back laughing and saying, we just did not realize how much criticism had invaded our relationship. So you may think your partner's being critical, but how are you being critical? Before we go on to perhaps the most dramatic thing to try, I want to talk about the free trial from Audible. As I said in the intro, I don't have any advertising. I've never accepted it on my website. And several people have contacted me for the podcast, but I have said no. I want you to really trust that I don't have any hidden agendas of my own to do this. But when Audible came forward, they said, hey, it's a free trial for a month. And they get a free Audible book. And then if they want to unsubscribe, they can unsubscribe. So you get a chance to stick your toe in the water, see what it feels like to listen to an audiobook. And then if you don't like it, you get to keep the book and unsubscribe. The way you do this is to type in audibletrial.com slash selfwork. That's audibletrial.com slash selfwork. And the book that I would like to recommend to you is by Harriet Lerner. It's called The Dance of Intimacy. She has a whole series of books, The Dance of Anger, The Dance of Intimacy, The Dance of Deception, But for this particular topic, I thought The Dance of Intimacy would be good. But get whatever book you want. And just know also that whatever proceeds come back to me, I'm planning on giving to St. Jude's Children's Hospital, which is a free hospital program that cover all expenses of both the patient and his or her family. It's a wonderful program. So get audibletrial.com slash selfwork, and it's a win for you, and it's a win for St. Jude's. Okay, back to our list. Now, this one is a little controversial. See what it feels like to plan your divorce. A little bit tricky, a little bit dangerous, and it can be. But the couples I've given this assignment to are really stuck. And basically, they find out one of two things. Either that considering divorce is easier than they thought, and they actually can undo their marriage with some amount of amicability. But... Other couples experience quite the opposite, that that reality isn't what you want at all. And connecting with it as a reality helps you become much more clear about what you do want and can motivate you to fight harder for your marriage, to either brush up on relationship skills that you used to practice or learn new ones. So again, that may sound a little drastic, but it's in everybody's mind anyway, so why not just talk about it? Number seven is about having goals together. We mentioned this at the very beginning when I was actually asking couples what goals they had together. You know, even if you're afraid that you might fail at doing something together because it's been so long. I've had couples, for example, who have been working on financial issues 
and they're not in good shape. They've either filed bankruptcy or they're spending way too much money. And one of the goals that we decide together to set is for them to come up with a financial plan. I like the idea of a glass jar out on the kitchen counter where they can both put money that's their kind of mad money or saving for something they both agree on. It's a very tangible way of communicating about they're in this together. So have goals together. I don't care if it's a financial plan. I don't care if it's supporting a nonprofit, growing a garden. I don't really care, but having goals together. Number eight is finding things to laugh about. (laughs) I've assigned this to couples many a time, especially apathetic ones, the homework of having a water fight. Then I will tell you someone fell and broke their leg when they were doing it. So (laughs) I have wondered whether that was a great thing to do. But I suggest that one of them buy two water guns and then go after it. Surprise the other partner. Anything to have fun. It doesn't have to be expensive. Just let go and have some laughs. Number nine is much more serious. Couples often suffer after a great loss like a child dying or an illness of a family member. The myth is that many people divorce after such a loss, but that's not really true. Only about 16% of couples divorce after a child's death. But you can try to not allow it to separate you. You may be feeling so grieved yourself that you don't have anything to give, so you isolate. You may even tell yourself you don't care that you can't tolerate being there for him or her. You don't want to try anything at all. But please realize that he or she may be the one person in the world who knows what you feel like. So talk about your grieving. And the last one is very simple. Risk, risk, and risk. It's so worth it. If you risk, you really try, and your partner won't budge, they remain disengaged, uncaring, apathetic, then at least you'll know you did everything you could. And that's a good feeling. I hope this has been helpful. I'm all about what you can do about it on self-work. The listener email for today is pretty short and sweet. We've had some really long ones lately, so that must be a relief for those of you who are listening. This is probably a strange email, but I love your podcast I found the one on perfectly hidden depression, and it resonated so well. She tells me the city she lives in, so it's pretty close to here. But unfortunately, getting to Fayetteville is a bit out of my area. But how do I find a psychologist or psychiatrist in my city? If only they all had awesome podcasts. That's very nice. If you talked about this on one of your past episodes, would you mind sharing? I would like to ask my Facebook friends, but feel that the stigma for getting help or talking to someone would lead my friends and family to think I was on the verge of self-harm, and I'm not. Thank you for your time. So I thank her for listening to the podcast and give her some information. Most therapists these days have their own websites, and there's probably a local organization, like we have one here, the Psychologist of Northwest Arkansas. There's probably a local organization in your area. There's also the state organization, but they probably don't have a website that includes the websites of their members. Some practitioners also pay a fee to Psychology Today and are featured on their website as well. But I have to say, I get most of my referrals either from former patients or from family practitioners. 
So opening up to someone you trust may be the best way, maybe not on Facebook, certainly, but with someone you trust. Certainly asking your OBGYN or family doc is also wise. Anna reminded her or told her that episode one, which was my very first episode, obviously, and I edited myself and I was nervous as all get out, so I have no idea what it sounds like. But it details my ebook on this topic, which is called Seven Commandments of Good Therapy, which might offer also some good ideas. You can get a free copy of that if you subscribe to my website at drmarketrutherford.com. If you have perfectly hidden depression and resonate with that, then obviously letting people know who you really are can be very difficult. So I have lots of blog posts about that on my website, as well as several podcast episodes. So good luck to you. Thanks for being a listener and take care. I'm sure there are many people who are in the same boat as this woman, wanting to reach out and yet being a little adverse to letting people know that you are. You know, I do this for a living, so I tend to forget sometimes how hard that initial step can be. My advice is simply not to wait until you're in a crisis before you do so. And maybe, hopefully, self-work is helping you realize a little bit about what therapy would be like. I want to thank you so much for being here. I've given my email already, but I'm going to give it again because I love getting emails. Ask Dr. Margaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. Let me know who you are. I also want to thank everyone for the ratings and reviews. I almost have 150 as of this recording, and that is absolutely stupendous. What that does is raise me in iTunes ratings so that when someone looks for self-help podcast or depression podcast, and my cover of self-work is closer to the top. And we all know we don't scroll down very far, right? (laughs) So I would so appreciate it if you'd leave especially a review. That gives me even more information, but a rating is great as well. Or you can do that wherever you listen. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com. You can subscribe there and get weekly blog posts and podcasts in one newsletter per week. I promise no more. And I'd like to invite you to a new entity. It's a Facebook group that I've started, and I'll have the link in the show notes. And I called it self-work as well, letting the S-E-L-F stand for strength, empathy, laughter, and friendship. I'd love for you to join the group. It's closed, meaning Only the members can see what we post there. It cannot be seen by the general public. And all you have to do to join is answer some questions. Again, I'll have the link, but it would be facebook.com slash selfwork. I think it's a little harder to find than that, so maybe you can take a peek in the show notes. Next time, I'll try to have the exact URL for you. So thanks for being here. You have my gratitude. Again, I hope this problem is not one that you're experiencing, but if it is, I hope it's been helpful. Take good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.